Hello, welcome to Geek Gab Game Night. Uh, this is a game-centric uh, Geek Gab show, and it's actually the middle of the day here in the U.S., so I guess it's Geek Gab Game Night European Edition, since it's night <laughs> over in Europe. That's appropriate, because our special guest today is Alfred Jenessen, who blogs at injusticegamer.blogspot.com. Uh, Alfred, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Great, and uh, as usual, my inimitable co-host, Daddy Warpig, is here. Hey, Daddy Warpig, what's going on? Um, yeah, same old, same old. <laughs> Have you heard about Bungie? Have I? I just happened to see a couple of links that uh, you and my brother have shared on ye old social media about Bungie. Why don't you fill us in? So I just I had to talk about this because it was so just mind-bogglingly, insanely stupid. Bungie just released a new um, squad-based MMO. It's not massively multiplayer. It's like three-person multiplayer. Other than that, it's exactly the same as an MMO. And... It's Destiny 2. It's a sequel to Destiny 1. It's basically Destiny 1 with a little bit of cosmetic changes and some mechanical changes. They, <laughs> they said Destiny 1 was going to have a 10-year roadmap, and everybody else said, ah, after a couple of years, they said, ah, we're kind of done with that. So they took all the expansions they were going to put in Destiny 1 and just wrapped it up, called it Destiny 2, because, you know, it's Activision, and they're slimy like that. So, But that's not the news story. The news story was that Bungie had a, a, a bit of a cheat with their XP progression. They decided that certain types of encounters that could be easily repeated by players, that is, players could go into them and do them again and again and again to gain XP, Bungie decided to lower how much XP you're going to get for doing those encounters over and over so that if person A did them once, they'd get more XP than person B who'd done it three times, even if they were the same level, even if it was the same encounter level. But they did something else. They made it so that the XP bar, the colored line on your screen that would gradually accumulate to show you when you were going to level up, they made it so that it would lie to you. So that it would tell you you had a different amount of XP than you actually had. Now, this is the genius of this system. The absolute brilliance of this system is they were aiming it at obsessive power levelers. People who <coughs> grind and grind and grind for the maximum XP possible, as quickly as possible. And Bungie assumed that screwing obsessive power levelers out of their XP was somehow going to go completely unnoticed. Wow. <laughs> that, that these people who garner XP, like Scrooge McDuck garners gold, would not notice that they weren't getting XP. It's it was insanity. It absolutely, it wasn't just bad. It wasn't just stupid. It was it was mind-bogglingly stupid and aimed at exactly the wrong population. <laughs> wow. It just they, they're they're and on the other hand, they're I mean they're punishing people who have looked at the game system and and gained it they they're playing the game they say oh because of these mechanics i think that i can get the most xp per hour if i go here this is normal this is this is normal rational behavior and they're just like yeah we don't like we don't like normal rational behavior we want you to buy more loot crates yeah and that was the thing too is they were screwing with people's drops so that they would spend money on XP multipliers. Well, I don't know if that was the direct intention to make to encourage people to spend money on XP multipliers, but that was the effect. Um, so it definitely, definitely was just a stupidly scummy idea, and it's hilarious. I'm trying to think of, of an analogy 
that makes sense. It's like, suppose you have two people, one of whom spends money like water. You know, they don't care. They don't even pay attention. They've got all the money they want. And another one of whom is a penny pincher that keeps track of literally every single cent in their bank account. The person you do not try to cheat of money is the person who is a penny pincher that obsessively pays attention to every detail. They're going to notice. It's what they do. So that's my rant about Bungie. Wow. Well, this is why I like to take a weekend off and hang out with some friends and play some board games. Because you know what? There's no company trying to cheat you out of your money. No, but there are games that do give you diminishing returns. <laughs> Only they tell you that up front in the rules. <laughs> What's a good example? Oh, um, there's quite a few games where the first of something costs so much and gives you a bigger reward than later on. Uh, Terraforming Mars even does that. Oh, oh, you're you're, you're speaking of game they, mechanics. This, this yes. is one of the things that I really like about your blog is that you're, you're sitting down and going through a lot of the game mechanics in, in the recent posts. I, yeah, I, I was, need to, it's been a while since I've done one of those, actually. I need to get back to that. Yeah, maybe diminishing returns. I was thinking uh, the games themselves, where uh, you've got a couple of games that are uh, really amazing, they look great, and, and they're really fun to play that first time, and then there's a steep drop-off in, in fun. In uh, Yeah, in, there's that too, but no, there's, there's definitely diminishing returns in... Uh, as a game mechanic, uh, I don't know that Board Game Geek has it sorted out as such, but there's definitely, or the other, uh, you see the other version of it where you have increasing cost as well. Uh, I think something like Agizia has that, where the first two, the early, the early uh, blocks on some of the monuments cost much less than the later ones, even though point-wise it's the exact same. I'm not familiar. I, um, Go ahead. Borderlands 2 uh, does something uh, like that. Most RPG-style progression systems do, where um, you get higher rewards the more progressively you invest in the... Uh, uh, in a particular line of feats, for example, or powers or whatever, but it's also progressively more expensive. Um, Borderlands 2, actually, I, I, I've been playing Borderlands 2 yesterday and today while I was watching some videos getting caught up on work. I really like the game. The company is bad, and I'm not going to buy Borderlands 3 or associate with the company again, but the game itself was a lot of fun. And here's something they did, which fits in right with what uh, Alfred is talking about. Um, they have uh, what they call badass points. And after you accumulate another, uh, enough badass points from doing little challenges like shooting 100 enemies of one type or picking up 100 uh, white weapons or whatever. I mean, basically anything you can do in the game is a challenge and you get points for it. If you do it once, you get a point. If you do it five times, then 10 times, then 50 times, whatever. There's uh, higher and higher progressions. You get a badass point, and your badass point applies to some bonus, like bonus health, bonus shields, quicker reload time, more ammunition in a gun, et cetera, et cetera. There's about 20, I think, or 12 different categories you, these bonuses apply to. And they're progressive to where the very first point you put into any of these gives you a big bonus. But the second point gives you less, third point gives you less, fourth point gives you less, fifth point gives you less. Um, and they're randomized. You only have a choice from five different ones, and so you can only pick from those five. But the brilliant thing about this is they're persistent against all your characters on that save. So if I have accumulated through gameplay plus 20% to health, any new character I create gets the benefit of all of those bonuses. They have 20% more health, they have 20% more shields, they have 20% less reload time, and they start off at zero with the challenges so they earn badass points more quickly. But as you get higher and higher, it also takes more, more uh, challenge XP 
to earn badass points. So they do the progressive thing in a number of different ways. And and I imagine this is an insanely intricate to balance, but I still think they did a great job and it adds a lot to the game, especially if you play a lot. I, that's an interesting system. I haven't played um, any of those, so. I like it. I, I'm, I'm actually heartened to hear something, somebody saying something good about Borderlands. <laughs> It, it's something. It's a mechanic that would never work in a tabletop game. It's a mechanic that would never work uh, in a board game because it's too intricate. It's too involved. I, if you have the computer, I don't know. You can do a lot with uh, legacy type games these days. Yeah. What's a, what is a legacy type game? Okay. It started with Risk Legacy, and the the idea is you you buy the game and. Honestly, Risk Legacy is expensive for what you think it is initially. The first couple games are pretty much generic risk, but it has a bunch of envelopes in, and you achieve something, there's an envelope that says, hey, when somebody finally uh, takes something or wins three games, well, we'll say somebody wins the third game, hey, this open up this envelope, it changes the map, add something to it. You can add, make areas irritated uh, biological hazards um, so it maybe. changes changes the map how like like it, it you'll pop stickers on for one thing you actually physically change the board oh yes yes uh, there's yeah you get through all the stuff and your game will actually be somewhat unique it's still risk but it's not going to be like somebody else's copy and it's going to be much faster playing in general than right than a regular risk game it's, it's before the end it's persistent across games so you'll play one game with a bunch of different people let's say five people at the table and you put stickers on the board to mark certain things that have happened then you put your board away and the next time you go to play with five other different people say those effects are still in place on the board um, I don't mean this in a negative way, but you're basically defacing the board, and it will be that oh, yeah. way for every subsequent play you have. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things you can unlock is uh, Alien Landing. You drop, you put an island sticker on the board in the ocean and connect it to two places, the person that unlocks it. <laughs> that, that's great. That sounds like a great alternative to, like, a role-playing game because you can, if you get, like, the same four people... To show up every oh yeah yeah have this persistent so it's a board game but it's also a like a persistent persistent game world, world like yes. a persistent game uh, there's a there's a few others uh, there's pandemic legacy which I don't know quite how that adjusts things I've not played it I've heard a bit about it but I've heard it's even better than Risk Legacy uh, by a few people who've played it but I don't know much about it. Sure. Uh, there's also Seafall, which actually does change things for individual players. You're supposed to play this with the same group all, each time. Uh, and let's see, there's uh, coming out as a game called Charterstone from uh, Stonemaier Games. I don't, nobody really knows a whole lot about how it's going to work. That isn't, that hasn't been in on the playtest stuff. However, uh, I do know that the book ha is set up to have as few rules as possible initially. So like you'll, you achieve something, you pull off, the, you, you find this sticker and you, you choose one of the some, so many stickers and you will add it to the game, to the rule book. There's a couple of games that do that uh, in a light way. Uh, I've played, have you ever played the uh, Dungeons and Dragons board games, the new ones that Watsi's put out? Oh yeah, yeah. I've played. I uh, played a couple of the early ones actually. I haven't played the new, the very latest ones. The the I think the the last one that came out, or the last one I played was the Temple of Elemental Evil, sort of okay. a board game okay. version of that classic module. And they they have persistence in the form of uh, if you choose to play the adventures in the order in the rulebook, mm. uh, at the end of the adventure, depending on how you how well you succeeded or whether you failed, you'll go ahead and add extra different types of treasure and monster cards to the decks. Okay. It's sort of, so, so there's a base deck of 50 cards and then there's like a hundred 
other cards. And after you finish the scenario, you're going to put two or three of those cards in the decks. And, and so it's not as heavy and destructive as a risk legacy oh, yeah. or a pandemic legacy, but uh, it lets you have a different game. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you choose to play through with the same people, you can sort of progress. Um, that's interesting. And it's interesting that you brought up uh, Pandemic. Switching gears, because that's another wildly different type of game, the cooperative game. Do you like playing those? Uh, I like playing some of them. Uh, the problem that they tend to have is being able to be railroaded pretty easily by one alpha gamer. Uh, it It's just a... Oh, and... Honestly, I'm. Are you the guy? No. Are you the guy that no, just, hey, I'm not. That it, it, half the time that's me. It's like, hey, you just go here with this guy, and and it, it it's those games are best with a traitor mechanic, in my opinion. So, that works. Uh, all, what else works is saying, hey, no, 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 you can't talk about the game. You have to just take your turns. Is those the only way those games work, in my opinion? No, I mean, it's literally, you have a group that just wants to plan everything out. That's actually fine, for the most part. Um, I will say that uh, there's a, another co-op called, uh, it's a card game called Sentinels of the Multiverse. That one, I like it, but it has some issues in that there are times when you can actually tell well before you've gotten to the end of it, whether or not the game is won or lost. Like, literally, you can just say, no, 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 the game's already won. We can't lose. We'll just pack it up now. (laughs) Or we literally cannot do anything here. We might as well pack it up and start play either a different scenario or something else. Merciful. So uh, what are you playing these days? Uh, last thing I actually had a chance to play was uh, Game of Seventh Continent, which uh, has a bit of uh, it has a save mechanic actually, uh, because it's a game. It's a cooperative game where you're basically pulp adventurers that have recently come back. From, your, from exploring the seventh continent and you're having trouble sleeping and your health is deteriorating and you realize I'm cursed, I have to go back and I gotta lift the curse or curses depending on how you set it up. Uh, so it's everybody goes in, explores this continent, which is actually the whole thing is, the whole game is uh, little uh, 80 millimeter cards, 80 millimeter square cards. Uh, so you go explore, you build the map of where you are, and it depends on what curses your curse or curses you're playing with where you start. But you get to a point where you're like, okay, we really need to pack it up. You get, you need to get all the adventures to the same point, and then you pull up all the map except for where you're at, and then you save what stuff your characters have and put it all back in the box, basically. Meaning that you, uh, for stretching the play across multiple sessions? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you can easily get uh, over four hours out of one curse. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not a one-session game necessarily. In fact, if you only get one session out of a single play with a curse, it's probably because your characters all died. <laughs> that reminds me of more than a couple games I've played. Well, to do things, your characters have a there's a shared action deck, and every action has a hey, you got to flip so many cards and get so many stars. Well, the action deck runs out. You don't reshuffle it. Well, you do, but it doesn't become a new action deck. It just gets shuffled and flipped over in the discard pile, so it's all face down on the discard pile instead. And then you flip the top cards from there, 
And if you get a curse in there, well, game's over. We all died. <laughs> awesome. Oh, it was a great. It was, it's a great time. So uh, you well, you had on something. See, I I don't know. Uh, I'm a board game lover. You're a board game lover. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if our audience is really into it. So. Can you talk a little bit? You did a, an essay recently about uh, the length of games, and you mentioned that this one is four oh. hours, and that that doesn't sound typical to me. Oh no, no, that's not. Um, but board games, their length is so varied; it's ridiculous. I've I've got games that can be played in under ten minutes, and I have, I mean, I have Seventh Continent, which yeah, we'll play in about four hours. I have uh, Star Trek Ascendancy, which we'll play in. Uh, depends on how many players you have. If you have three players, it's probably about three, three and a half hours. If you have five players, it's about five hours. Holy cow. <laughs> or more. Um, and I have a couple of friends that have advanced, that have mega civilization, which you might not be done in eight hours. Yeah, I remember. I remember showing up at a game club once and everybody's sort of spreading out and picking games they want to play. And there's one table where they were setting up advanced civilization. And, and I said, Oh, well, that looks really, that's large and complicated. How long, how long is that going to take? And they looked at me and they said, yeah, well, we're probably going to be here at this time tomorrow. Oh yeah. That's, just, that's quite possible. I um, just sort of, I did that, that Homer Simpson just sort of back up and slowly walk away. <laughs> honestly, if you have the time to do it once or twice, you know, on occasion, it's great. I wouldn't make that my main thing to play, but like once, say every four months, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Once a year, definitely. Um, like advanced civ, mega civ, uh, they're actually not that complicated to play. Once you get, and it's a really boils down to a few mechanics, not not tons of them. Your complications come from things like their technology tree, technology tree and costs, and their uh, and the interaction with other players. I see. I see. Yeah, on on the long end, I did try. Uh, there is a Twilight Imperium, which is which edition? Because there's no four. Third. Okay, I, I played third. I've played third a few times. And and the the third is is interesting. It's it's a great game that sort of models. Think Babylon Five. There's this wide advance expanse of the galaxy, and there's yep. multiple planets with multiple races, and you're all jockeying for dominance in the galaxy. And uh, so, if that's in your wheelhouse, this game is a really good model of that. What kills me lengthwise is that the designers put a stupid clock into the game. <clears throat> there's a there's a pair of actions that you basically have to take when it's your turn because it's the fastest chance, way to yes. gain it's the fastest way to gain points. Um, sure is. And when you read the rules, you think that's stupid because I don't like having my hand forced. And then when you play the game and you realize that even with that system in place, it's going to take you four to eight hours to finish the game. You go, yeah, okay, I guess that was kind of necessary. With, well, with Twilight Imperium, it's it depends on the. Twilight Imperium, it definitely depends on who you're playing with, too. Uh, you can pull off a three-player game of that in about mm, two and a half hours if if everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah. On the other hand, there are plenty of other games that actually fit that kind of theme. It, the Space 4X hero-style game that are faster. Uh, there's I mean, Eclipse is probably the top of those right now, I think. And that's about to get a second edition sometime in the future. It's at least been announced. Very cool. Um, what else uh, what else is on top of your mind as far as like what you've been writing on the on the blog lately uh, as far as games go? Oh boy. I don't really know on that. Uh, no, I really don't. I. You don't have anything I, anything coming up for us? Uh, not intentionally. I literally so, sometimes it's literally I. 
come up with the, what I'm writing about five minutes before I write about it. Uh, the seat of your pants method. We're yes. a big fan of that here on, on Gab. Yeah, I, I I know I've got a I've got at least one. Well, I've got one book review and probably a quick review set coming up within, say, the next week. So before we, I mean, I'd love to talk about a little bit more about the non-game stuff, but uh, I just wanted to talk about games for our audience, anybody who's listening. I just want to stress that when it comes to game night, you can have all sorts of experiences with a variable number of people at different game lengths. You know, you oh, play, yes. In the games you can make, you can play eight hour games. And uh, commonly, a average is probably around 60 to 90 minutes. I, I would say about 45 to 90, honestly. There's a lot yeah. of games where they're like, we, we want to fit at that 45 to 60 range, and then the 60 to 90 is the other side of the po really popular range. And we could use some more of those because, you know what, uh, we used to, I used to have a group at work and we'd try to fit games in a lunch hour, and that can be tough. How many players? Oh, it's, it was usually three or four. Oh, okay. Um, our, because our, I was going to say, if you want, if you want from, uh, say, three to seven, I can recommend Between Two Cities. That, that, take is, a, that is a fantastic game. Absolutely is. So for the listeners that uh, don't know how Between Two Cities works, it's a tile-laying game. Um, but, and you're trying to build the best city you can. Here's the thing, though. Instead of building your city, you're building one city with the partner, with your neighbor on the left, and one city with the neighbor on your right. And at the end of the game, you score up all the cities, and the score that counts is the lower of the two that you worked on. So you have to work together with your partners, but you're also trying to get the best city on the table. Yes, and the thing is, you, if you min-max, you will lose absolutely. You have to build the best city on both sides that you can. Yeah, that's a really good one. Have you played with the expansion for that at all? Yes. <laughs> really? I liked it just because it made it so unknown what was going on. I've only I've only played twice, so the the first game it was with the expansion, and then the second okay. game it was without, and and the one without was just so much easier to. Okay, get. so you jumped into the expansion. I wouldn't recommend that. No. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I would say play without, and then once someone's got a few games under their belt, then you pop that on them. Because yeah. it definitely does make things more complicated. And it makes the game longer. Well, I don't know if that's a... <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing in this case. It does make it longer, though. It was the only... It's just about the only time I've played where the we only played once. <laughs> Normally, it gets played about two or three times. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to revisit that. We, we used to keep track of games, and this was like maybe eight years ago. We used to keep track of games that fit in a lunch hour. Um, our favorites among them being uh, stuff like Dominion and... Uh, Actually, three-player Puerto Rico can be done in six oh, minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but but I, I'd love to revisit that for because it's been a few years, and then there's a lot of great new games like uh, Between Two Cities that we could add to that list. Uh, let's see. For something really quick and simple, have you tried No Thanks? No, I haven't. Oh wow. Okay. So the game is literally it's. A bunch of numbered cards, uh, like zero to thirty or one to thirty-five, I think it is, something like that, and just a bunch of generic poker chips. Each player starts with a certain number of chips. On your turn, there. Okay, there's a face-up card. On your turn, you either take the card, or you put a chip on it to not take it. At the end of the game, you're, you want the lowest uh, you want the lowest score possible. The cards are your score. The chips you have are reduce that. 
so so the chip's incentivized taking a card. So yes, so, so th this card isn't worth it, but maybe it's worth it with a couple of chips on it. Yes, absolutely. And here's the okay. other thing that they have with it: if you have cards in sequence, only the lowest card counts. So if I have say thirty-five down to thirty, that's not so bad. That's that that that's only thirty points as opposed to the th you know that. Oh, whole, I see. I see. Yeah. So that's that's just really quick. Just bam, player pass, player pass. For the most part, yes. Sometimes you do get you get some really agonizing decisions because you have a cost benefit analysis going on within the game as well. Just because that's me. I'm the analysis paralysis guy. I'm I'm the guy who who who's playing Agricola takes two minutes to think about his turn and then takes wood. <laughs> um, that's that that's me. I'm I I'm nonstop thinking. Well. The thing is, in no thanks, it makes a lot more. It makes a lot of sense because you're trying to figure out how many chips do I need right now, as well. Because I gotta. I, and, I and, if, and if you're playing with multiple people, you have to say, okay, how many points does he have? How many points does he have? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because can I risk it going around once more? Also, how many how many chips do they have? Oh, I, I play a lot of those games with uh, with my brother as well. There's lots of games with the common theme of press your luck. Where you, you know, you, it's yeah. really simple. The game has a setup where you make a play and then you can either continue to play, you know, double or nothing, or you lose everything. Yeah. Um, uh, there's there's a, quite a few games like that. That's a lot. Of, that's a fun mechanic, too. For crazy people who like to risk it all. <laughs> Um, so, well, we've talked we've talked a lot about uh, gaming for the past half hour. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you're writing about. You also do a lot of writing on books and comics. What's on your mind uh, recently? Um, well, let's see. I just finished the uh, current uh, Horseman Universe anthology, The Good, the Bad, and the Merc. Uh, so that's actually going to be my next and probably my next uh, book review, which anthology reviews usually take a bit more thinking in some ways than I like because I will have, end up summarizing each story instead of going through and just having fun. Uh, but I I don't know. Well, for anyone that's... No fun. <laughs> I will say that the Horseman universe continues to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm kind of wondering how big it's going to end up getting because they've got another arc of novels announced already. They've got other people playing in the universe in novels as well as the anthologies already. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know, Warpick, you want to talk about the mess that was Doomsday Clock 1? <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not I'm not a uh, comics or a reading guy, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> but yeah. I know that I know that comics have, uh, like, DC's movie bombed and Marvel's sales are in the toilet, so I thought maybe, maybe you'd have a better insight than I do as to what's going on with comics these days. Uh, that's hard for me in a lot of ways. Um, when DC did the, I'm mostly a DC guy as far as superhero comics anyway. And when DC did their new 52 reboot a few years back, I was like, okay, I'll try. Uh, I'll, oh, you're ruining my characters. I got to the point where I was down to uh, All-Star Western, which was their Jonah Hex title at the time. And then they brought him to the present and ruined him too and canceled the book pretty quickly after that, thankfully. But I was just like, I didn't even, I didn't even pick up the last few issues because I was just like, this is not worth reading. Uh, now, DC has a few books that are definitely worth reading. Uh, the 
Batman White Knight title is really interesting. And once there's a, another couple of two or three issues out, I'll, I'll probably start writing. I'll probably write a blog post or two about the politics within that uh, miniseries because the politics is done very well. It's not preachy. It's not beating people over the head. It's literally just presenting politics of the characters. Oh, right. Instead of using the character as a mouthpiece, the character simply has politics. And yeah, you're, free, you're free to agree or disagree with them, but they're not telling you that you're wrong one way or the other. Oh, no. not a, Yeah, not at all. It, I, I very much admire uh, Sean Gordon Murphy for doing that book that way. And I only tried it because of what a class act he was on tw that he's been on Twitter, honestly. And I I'd actually read a book he did art with for uh, with that was written by Grant Morrison called Joe the Barbarian years back, uh, but it's a Vertigo title. But uh, yeah, I was out of hero books for a long time, mostly for a long time uh, because marvel wasn't doing things i liked for the most part they, it, they've had a few interesting characters but i usually just don't care for how most of their stuff is done uh, but the as far as dc yeah and white knight is worth reading um i'm giving ragman a try uh two issues in it's still dealing doing okay uh I think part of it is they're trying to, I think part of it is they're letting writers just write without editorial oversight and, or the editors are actually like, yeah, go ahead, be as political as you want without thinking about how to be political. Uh, and part of it is that both companies have just been overrun by ideas of continuity as well. Um, which is one thing I'm liking with the mini series focus that they're doing on, at DC now. Um, really just hoping that they decide, Hey, we'll have a few books, like say five to 10 that are continuity books. And the rest of our line is going to be mini series that aren't necessarily in continuity. We really just want you to tell a story and have fun. So you want to do a story that's, and I'm not talking about Elseworld stuff like uh, Gotham by Gaslight or Superman Red Sun, which are great stories. I'm talking about just tell a story that's in a rather recognizable DC universe. That I mean, isn't, like, instead of forcing it to be in that same shared universe. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be part of the history. It's just a story. The, the focus on the history is making a mess and it's, that intimidates a lot of people from approaching it. I've known people that literally have said, oh, if I want to get into Superman, I got to start with Action Comics 1. I'm like, what? No, no, you don't. Not at all. Well, as, as a DC guy, what did you think of the, the Justice League movie? I haven't seen it. Okay, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had been excited for it and I got more meds. Things got closer and then the whole uh, Hollywood thing kind of blew up and I'm like, well, I'm... I, yeah, don't give them your money. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. I had fun. Yeah, I'm not going to buy it, but I had fun. It, it might be fun. It might be fun. I don't deny that. Um, it's more just I just wasn't... I, I don't get a lot of hype for movies anymore. Uh, the last I the last one I saw was Wonder Woman, as far as in the theater, um, and that was because um, I had heard it was rather good. I do a nightly blog post in order to get ready for it. <clears throat> I have a laundry list of sites I visit to look for news stories or YouTube videos or whatever. Um, and so I catch word of new films or new projects that are starting way, way, way ahead of when they actually are going to hit the silver screen. I mean, I, I know about them like two years before they hit. 
um, Ghostbusters, for example. I knew about mm -hmm. that long before it was going to hit the screen and and uh, other things. And man, you would be amazed at how thoroughly doing that every day for like three years uh, will kill your excitement for movies because oh, I bet you just get weary and dead inside because you are absolutely perfectly aware of every single disaster that's coming down the pike and you know it's going to be garbage and you say that and people are like well have you seen it yet i'm like no i haven't seen it but i've read all about it and it may surprise me i'm still open to that but it's probably going to be garbage <laughs> like yeah if, if i had known that uh like justice league was and and you even liked it but if i'd known that justice league was manhandled by the studio and and uh they threw Joss Whedon in to finish a script by Zack Snyder. That that alone might have stopped me from seeing it, just knowing that insider stuff. Well, and the the problem with the movies is they don't seem the filmmakers don't seem to understand the nature of the DC universe, and I don't I, I don't necessarily mean as far as who it boils down to much more than just who is Superman, who is Batman. It also boils down to what is Gotham city? What is Metropolis? What is hub city? What is star city? What are these places like? Because they deal in archetypes and it's not just, it, yeah. it, it's, it's not a, every place is New York city, which is mostly what you see in Marvel actually, because most, almost all of it is in New York city. Um, look at what, I was just thinking about this last night uh, um, or two nights ago. Marvel's um, characters are, are are situational characters. Like Peter Parker is in high school or in early college. He's poor. He's struggling. Um, that's who he is. That's intrinsic to the character. If you make major changes to that, it's no longer Peter Parker. He's no longer really Spider-Man. Yeah, um, yeah, he can grow out of that as far as his career, getting a career and so on, but that has to be part of his past, yeah. But um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, they're not um, necessarily characters in the same sense. They are archetypes. And Absolutely. that's why you can that's why you can take Batman and bend his story in so many different ways and come up with a great, absolutely a great story. And I'm not just talking about the else worlds, but if you compare like 1970s uh, revenge, uh, you know, dead, uh, you know, the revenge driven movies, the revenge driven anti-crime movies that came out of the 1970s, um, Batman very much fell in with those or martial arts movies, his training with the League of Assassins yeah. and so on and so forth. Compare that to the 1950s Batman or compare that to the Pulp Avenger with a gun Batman or compare that to the Dark Knight Returns um, or compare that to, you know, White Knight we're talking about right now. Batman can be a lot of things because he's archetypal in, uh, uh, in that sense. He's not... Um, he's not set to one personality necessarily or one background. He can be a lot cheerier uh, in some issues and be a lot darker in others, and it all works because he's an archetype. And DC, the DC universe is based and built on uh, archetypes, not based and built on you know um, New York City. Yeah, yeah, um, and and I. I personally like the archetype idea a lot better, uh, mostly because it yields itself uh, more to the type of storytelling of, say, Beowulf, the epic, you know, the epic heroic poem, uh, or you know, Ballad of the White Horse, where you've got this guy that literally become becomes the image for this country in a lot of ways. Uh, let's see. Other DC's got another couple other things that are interesting going on right now. Uh, they just launched a uh, miniseries with uh, Etrigan called "The Demon Hell Is Earth." I figured I'd give that a shot. And first issue has literally uh, pretty much zero politics, which I was okay. very happy about. Thank uh, goodness. 
and the writing is very solid. The art is really good. I'm, I'm hope I'm hoping it keeps on that path. Um, and then they also launched this last week a new Vertigo book called uh, Imaginary Fiends, and uh, I did I wrote a mini little bit about it on my blog, but the idea is your imaginary friend that you had when you were a kid and what didn't have any of your friends around, that's real. Or, or at least some of them are real. And some of them get more powerful. They feed on your affection and your emotions. Most of them just go away when you get to oh, somewhere around middle school. Others of them don't and they get stronger and stronger and they need more emotion to feed on. So they want to, they want to isolate you, but they also make, they can affect the physical world and they can make you do some really crazy stuff. I, uh, I don't know if I want to talk about this or not, but, uh, cause this just happened yesterday. I'm still, um, I've been reading the same comic book title now for, 15 years or 16 years, something like that. Um, no investment often, at all. <laughs> um, it is Astro City. Oh, yes. Astro City is wonderful. By Kurt Busiek. Um, well, and overall, it's, it's wonderful, I should say. I, uh, I've read all the issues many, several times in many cases because, you know, is it, going, just, is it going further social justice? No, no, no. He went full on rabid, outright blatant, just ugly uh, social justice. And and I have to explain this in a way. I want to talk about this, but I've been trying to come up with a good venue to talk that's, about it. Because, that, that's, that's tragic because Astro um, City has been rather decent for so long. Yeah, I mean, it's been really good. Out of all of the issues uh, over the last 20 years that it's been going, there's been one single issue that was really social justice-y. And that only came out in the last year or two. Um, so here's the thing. And I, I wanna just, I'm gonna list a few elements without drawing the parallels and see if people can um, understand where the politics come from uh, and how politics ruin this entire story. So there are a group of aliens, space aliens, who escape from a slave camp, steal a ship, and flee to Earth. So there are now people who are white supremacists, explicitly identified as white supremacists, who hate the fact that these five, literally five individuals or six individuals are now living on Earth and they're holding riots or holding uh, protests to get them kicked off the planet. And in the middle of this protest, when they're marching the aliens through, three um, superheroes, supervillains show up. They're called Earth Pride. Their capes are two Confederate flags and an American flag. They're dressed all in black with something like the SS symbol on their foreheads. Um, they've got a roundish swastika kind of thing on their chest. Um, and they are specifically identified as white supremacists who want to murder the refugees because they don't want aliens on earth. And what happens is some of the counter protesters, the good and noble people who want to admit the refugees, magically start turning into a superhero called Resistor. And the issue, by the way, is titled Resistance. Oh. No, no. <laughs> I'm not done. I know. I know. Um, the resistor is anybody who is protesting for the powerless will, um, will magically appear. All these protesters. Um, Black Lives Matter protesters, or as explicitly mentioned, again, Black Lives Matter is explicitly mentioned at some point, will turn into the resistor. And the final point, and there's several other things that they 
take shots at it. Uh, they have um, the government doing bad things on Indian land, and so the government moves in to shoot up uh, the Indians to get them off, and uh, Indians turn into the resistor to stop the government and get this thing off Indian lands. They have a BLM protest that's being shot up by white supremacists, um, and people magically turn into resistor to stop them. Uh, the media hates resistor and is unfairly presenting them as if they were a violent group of people, but they're really not. They've got a, a rich gentleman who's, I'm too rich for laws to apply to me, this young guy with full black hair who's got this really smug smile on his face, who owns this corporation that does a bunch of bad stuff. Um, and he turns out to be behind killing the main girl's father. I'm ruining the issue. I'm spoiling the issue, folks. Sorry. And then he kills the young girl's father because the father invented this um, neuromimetic imprint that draws an ambient emotional energy from those around us. He spread it throughout the world so that spontaneously anyone who is part of the resistance against evil and for you know poor helpless people will gain superpowers from now until the end of time and that's how you will save the poor the helpless or the innocent um it's free floating it accesses the public consciousness but i tear it built it into the memeware it'll only work for people who want to defend the weak the helpless defend them against people like you so the entire issue is about how resistance it makes you part of this magical energy being, and you can stop all of the evil from, you know, white supremacists and stuff who want to murder five innocent aliens from coming to Earth because that's just who they are. Well, we've come a long way from the crossbreed, haven't we? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. For those that don't know, the crossbreed were a bunch of street preacher heroes in Astro City. Um, mostly, uh, what, there was uh, one of them was uh, had a lion's head up and body, basically, but stood up, was upright. Um, one of them had angel's wings. Uh, one of them basically looked like Moses with a big shepherd's crook and so on. Uh, well, other wow, and Busick managed to keep his talent going for much longer, um, even through his liberalness. Unfortunately, um, wow, he hasn't. Uh, to which I have to quote the uh, Borg: "Resistance is futile." I don't know, guys. I I'm inspired to resist now. <laughs> That's incredible. I just, uh, I see the thing is once you have a psychotic break this big, um, it means that pretty much everything's going to be downhill from now on. Um, he's been publishing, uh, Astro City off and on for a long time. It was periodic, but for the last 49 issues, he's mostly been regularly once a month with a, a gap here and there, uh, through vertigo. Um, but after this, when someone goes full, you know, full oh, political like this, and this it, it's permanent. It, it, I've never seen people like reel it back in. And so every other issue after this, and, and he's starting a new series next month. That sounds awesome, but I just can't wait to see how he throws politics in to ruin it. Um, back in the day they did a, uh, in the back of wizards, they did a half issue story called the nearness of you or the memory of you um and it's about oh, yeah, a gentleman yeah. who it was, it was a great little story it's about a gentleman who lost his wife because of the temporal uh, a temporal war that broke out he lost his wife she never existed she was never born um but he still remembered her and it was causing weaknesses in the fabric of existence so um it was a very touching, very sentimental 
great little story. And that pretty much describes all of Busiek's work. His uh, Superman of Earth 2, very touching, very sentimental. Uh, that's uh, Marvels, things like that. That's what he does or did well. Well, he's going to go back to that character, um, Michael Tenasek, and pick up on his life now 10, 15, 20 years later and show what's been happening with him. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. But then there was this issue. And it makes me think that there's going to be just, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And he's going to completely ruin Astro City. And, and I don't know what to do. If I should continue reading it um, and watch the thing I love get just trashed or just walk away now and say, well, that's it. I want to point this out. This is like this is like everything else in in pop culture or your life or anything like that. When when something like that happens, it's even if best probably the most notable example is the Star Wars movies where fans of the original movie were kind of turned off by the prequels, right? Those movies, those books and everything, they're still there. Or in the context of comics, Alan Moore asked about, you know, he famously uh, hates all the adaptations that have been made, like the Watchmen movie and, and everything else, and all the other movies. And Swamp Thing, and yeah. Yeah, Swamp Thing and, and the um, League of Extra all, all of his All the movies based off his works are, are oh, yeah. you know, range from good to terrible. And he said, what do you mean ruin my books? They're, they're all still there. You can go buy one, right? So don't worry about it, Warpig. All those great books are still going to be there, but maybe, maybe you don't want to read the newer episodes. If you want something to transfer to, I could say uh, check out Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer if you're not reading that. That's an interesting world so far. Thanks for the suggestion. Uh, uh, well, uh, Lemire had recently actually made a comment on uh, interview site where he was talking with them about how he was. He's also writing uh, XO Man of War for Valiant, and uh, how he was originally going to start inserting modern events and politics into XO Man of War, and he's like, "The more I thought about it, the more work it sounded." I'm, and and I just didn't want to do it. And I was just like, I think I'd rather just write a fun book. Yeah. He's like, okay. Yeah, he might be a liberal, but if he's really focused on writing a book, great. Writing, I mean, writing a fun book. Great. Good for him. Yeah, I think I think the I think John C. Wright said it really well, which is it's not the politics, it's not the message in boring message fixed that's the problem it's the boring <laughs> and just don't make it boring yeah yeah all right guys it's been about an hour so i'd like to wrap things up here daddy warpig any last rants for us um i don't have any rants but uh, we do have some news uh and we were going to get this to this last week um and we forgot because of the technical issues that cropped up uh, our good friend and co-host, uh, Brian Niemeyer, has decided to focus on his writing so he can try and get up to pulp speed. Instead of turning out one book every eight months or every year, he wants to be able to move towards a more Nick Cole level of production of releasing a smaller book every single month because that is apparently right now that's the way to succeed as an indie. So um, he has left Geek Gab uh, permanently. And uh, we are, of course, saddened by this. We will miss having him on the show. And we want to wish him the best of luck um, with all his endeavors in the future. And at some point, when he releases his next book, of course, we want to have him back on the show to come on and, and talk about it. So there will be no more uh, Geek Gab on the books. Um, and Brian will not be joining us on a regular basis anymore. For the time being, it's going to be just me and Dorval. Um, also, it is just past Thanksgiving. We're getting into the Christmas season. So for the next four or five weeks until New Year's, we're going to be taking uh, a break on Geek Gab Prime um, uh, just until after the holidays. Uh, so during the Christmas season, we're going to be um, missing our regularly Saturday, uh, a regularly scheduled Saturday show. But um, if uh, uh, 
it's possible that there may be special episodes of like Geek Gab Game Night uh, or whatever that we might put up. But for right now, until uh, until after New Year's, we're going to be taking a short break. Um, I think that's it. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian Niemeyer, for all the good times. The, the show isn't going to be the same without you, uh, but uh, best of luck in all of your endeavors, and thank you. Alfred, any last words for us? Well, I uh, I really should plug a book I have a couple of pieces in, uh, MAGA 2020 and Beyond. I have an essay and a short story in there for anyone that hasn't read them yet. Um, I got asked into that uh, as a result of basically being in the right place at the right time. Some pieces uh, just weren't going to work out that they had submitted, and they were like, can you get us something in the next week? I'm like, um, sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure a link to that is in the show notes after the show. And uh, also, uh, if you enjoyed what I had to say about games and com and or comics, uh, you can come check out my blog, injusticegamer.blogspot.com. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks to my co-host, Daddy Warpig. We're going to sign off for now. This has been Game Night in the Middle of the Day, <laughs> November 25th. Thanks so much for listening, everybody in the chat. Thanks for everybody who's listening live, or not live, later. Good night, and game on.